Most of all, he loved his mind, his lofty, fiery thoughts, his glowing will, his high calling. Govinda knew that Siddhartha would become no ordinary Brahmin, no lazy, sacrificial official, no grasping peddler of spells, no vain and empty orator, no evil, deceitful priest, and no good, stupid sheep in the herd of the many. No, nor did he, Govinda, wish to become any of those, a Brahmin like the other ten thousand. He wanted to follow Siddhartha, the splendid beloved. And some day, when Siddhartha became a god, some day, when he joined the Radiant Ones, then Govinda would follow him as his friend, as his companion, as his servant, as his lance-bearer, his shadow. They all loved Siddhartha. He brought joy to all, he delighted them all. But Siddhartha did not bring joy to himself. He did not delight himself. Walking along the rosy paths of the fig orchard, sitting in the bluish shade of the grove of contemplation, washing his limbs in the daily bath of atonement, sacrificing in the densely shaded mango forest, with perfect breeding of his gestures, loved by all, a joy to all, he nevertheless bore no joy in his heart. Dreams came to him, and fretful thoughts flowing from the water of the river, twinkling from the stars of the night, from the sun's melting rays. Dreams came to him, and restlessness of his soul smoked from the offerings, breathed from the verses of the Rigveda, dripped from the teachings of the old Brahmins. Siddhartha had started nursing discontent within himself. He had started feeling that his father's love and his mother's love and also his friend Govinda's love would not make him happy forever and always, not please him, gratify him, satisfy him. He had begun to sense that his venerable father and his other teachers, that the wise Brahmins, had already imparted to him the bulk and the best of their knowledge, that they had already poured their fullness into his waiting vessel, and the vessel was not full. His mind was not contented, his soul was not tranquil, his heart not sated. The ablutions were good, but they were water. They did not wash away sin, they did not slake the thirst of the mind, they did not calm the fright of the heart. Splendid were the offerings and the invokings of the gods. But was that all there was? Did the offerings bring happiness? And what about the gods? Was it really Prajapati who created the world? Was it not Atman, he, the only one, the all one? Were not the gods formations, created like me and you, subject to time, ephemeral? So was it good, was it right, was it a sublime and meaningful act to sacrifice to the gods? To whom else should one sacrifice? To whom else was veneration due but to him, the only one, Atman? And where was Atman to be found? Where did he dwell? Where did his eternal heart beat, if not in one's own self, in the innermost, in the indestructible essence that every person bore within? But where, where was this self, this innermost, this ultimate? It was not flesh and blood. It was not thinking or consciousness. That was what the wisest teach. But then where, where was it? To pierce there, to the self, to myself, to Atman, was there any other path worth seeking? Ah, but no one showed this path. No one knew it. Not his father, not the teachers and sages, not the holy sacrificial chants. 
They knew everything, the Brahmins and their holy books. They knew everything. They had concerned themselves with everything and with more than everything. The creation of the world, the genesis of speech, of food, of inhaling, of exhaling, the orders of the senses, the deeds of the gods. They knew an infinite amount. But was it worthwhile knowing all this if you did not know the one and only, the most important, the only important thing? True, many verses in the holy books, especially in the Upanishads of Samaveda, spoke about this innermost and ultimate, glorious verses. Thy soul is the entire world, they said, and it was written that in sleep, in deep sleep, a human being goes into his innermost and dwells in Atman. Wonderful wisdom was in these verses. All the wisdom of the wisest was gathered here in magical words, as pure as honey gathered by bees. No, there was no disdaining the tremendous amount of knowledge.